What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 191, my friends, 191. Wow. And let's get straight to the introduction, because the talent does not wait, ladies and gentlemen. The talent... I got things to do. He's, he's to got things, things to do. There's, there he is, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. Uh, we've got a pretty big announcement this week, along with a pretty good show, I think. I think we've got an interesting combination of things that we've watched this week. And yeah, yeah, big announcement for the end of the show, I think. You know, that's... Oh, mm, when, when do you want to do it? <laughs> hey, might as well just rip the band-aid off for our, sure. our adoring fans. Uh, yes. Uh, as you are all aware, the demands on anyone's time these days are significant. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, this will be the last show for the year of 2023. Yes. If we'd actually planned it, we might have done something different. But <laughs> do I really look like a guy with a plan? As a great man once said, I'm a dog chasing cards. If I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. <laughs> um, so we, we don't have a plan, but this is the life is just doing its thing. Uh, yes. There's a lot going on in uh our 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 world so mm-hmm. we need to That's uh concentrate on things that actually pay the bills and you know people who demand our time um absolutely so that's going to take up the rest of 2023 and i have to hazard a guess a decent chunk of the first part of 2024 so this mm. is not uh we're not saying goodbye we're just saying so long for yes now. But, um, you know, we're going to try and um, that's like where possible, if we, if we can get things aligned, we try and just do like special op-eds or something. Um, I, we, I would I, hope that maybe we could do a Christmas episode, but I'm not promising anything. <laughs> um, but I, I still like um, the fact that uh, Travis had a very good idea of revisiting some of the controversial, uh, diametrically opposed review opinions of movies that we had. So maybe we'll do just a short kind of retrospect of one movie at a time just to save on some time where we can fit it in when we can. But yeah, so um, yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can, people. But but we, like we say, we are not gone forever. We will be back and um, you know, Dax Shepard still can't have the title Armchair Producers. Sorry. <laughs> Dax Shepard, he made that Chips movie. That was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. Chips. I remember and... Chips as like I never watched it, but it was just the one that was talked about. People always talked about Chips, Eric Estrada and stuff. And you know, he yeah. remade Chips and he did a shit job of it. Fuck you, Dax Shepard. Um... <laughs> Although he was funny in Idiocracy. Yes. Um, it's, it's a bit like when you say the Baldwin's can't act and someone says, hey, Stephen was pretty good in The Usual Suspects. And you're like, I can't argue with that. He that's, wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's fair. Everyone, everybody gets one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we are going to talk the final chain movie of mm-hmm. The Chain for now. It will mm-hmm. probably continue at some point in the future. Uh, but it will be, of course, Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. uh, the oh, way back when movie from the seventies, uh, the Doll Squad, the strangely influential the Doll Squad, yeah, um, and our newish movie of the week turned out to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. We had mm-hmm. hoped to do Mission Impossible. It's not out on streaming in Australia yet, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to try and find a fucking cinema still showing it. Yeah. So 
And unfortunately, Tom Cruise was not returning our calls. Tom, it used to be about the music, man. Now it's all about you. It's all about him. But never mind. That's fine. We can accept that. We can move on. Speaking of um, moving on. Should we we just jump on into the... Let's jump on into Star Wars. So I picked this. Our link to Lincoln Mm -hmm. from the last show we did was Adam Driver. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt this did fit into the theme of our conversation around revisiting some of the more controversial films Mm. um, that we disagreed on. Uh, And I don't fully recall how much we disagreed on this one, but I feel like we did. Um, because um, I remember quite disliking it, and I feel like you had a little bit more time for it than I did. Yes. Um, so I thought it would be interesting with uh, six years, six years since this film came out, which is remarkable. Um, it was some time and some space and at least one other Star Wars sequel. Maybe it's a good time to take another look at it. I was going to say six years, and in that six years we've had uh, the finale of the Skywalker saga, apparently. <laughs> Um, we've had three seasons of Mandalorian. We've also had one season of Boba Fett. We've had a season of Ahsoka. Um, and that's not even including the animated stuff of, um, uh, Bad Batch, which finished off the, the Clone Wars saga and was required reading the Clone Wars for, if you really wanted to understand what was going on in Ahsoka. Um, um, so I think, uh, we both had the, before this movie came out, we both had the, unu- the, the interesting thought of Ryan Johnson di- writing and directing a Star Wars movie, because this was quite out of left field for what he had been making. I and... think before this, it was Looper. Was that his most yeah. recent film before this? Yeah. Um, before that, we had films like Brick and the Brothers Bloom. Yeah. Very sort of intellectually indie sort of focused films. Yeah. I think Looper may have been, I assume Looper's a studio film. I, I don't know. Um, but again, that was a very mm-hmm. highbrow intellectual sci-fi time travel yeah. action film. So to jump into a studio film, part of the franchise was a bit yeah. left field, but I can say I was actually, I felt very positive about that. Mm. Remember the original plan was JJ Abrams did one. Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson did the second one. I mean, Colin Trevorrow yep. was originally set to play to do the third uh, of the of the uh, Star Wars sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he dropped out to do mm-hmm. a, another terrible Jurassic Park movie, and J.J. Uh, Abrams replaced him doing the third one. But I remember thinking in the nineties when when the prequels came out, I'm like, why don't they just go out? Doesn't Lucas? He can't direct. He can write. He can't direct. Uh, why does he go out and get? Three of the most talented, you know, mm-hmm. uh, passionate young filmmakers in the in the world who want to do a Star Wars film. At that time, I was thinking of Kevin Smith. You mm-hmm. know, like he just did Chasing Amy. It was a good film. I liked that when yeah. it came out. You know, we had Dogma about the same time as well. He was doing well. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Maybe I'm sure Tarantino wouldn't have done it, but you know, other people that uh, uh, you know, um, Robert Rodriguez. You know, yeah, um, somebody like that. And of course, he didn't do that. He did them all himself so yeah. i always liked the fact that disney it looked like it was taking my advice finally and mm-hmm. went out and got jj's not young but you know three of the more interesting and talented directors mm. going around and i do realize he used interesting in the same sentence as jj abrams um, <laughs> but there me. was one key element that disney did not take from you which was yes 
bring in this fresh alternative talent, but have a plan. They did you're, not you're have a plan. whiteboard somewhere with the fucking yeah. I I, I anyway. So that is the key problem with this film. Mm-hmm. However, that problem became less of a problem if that's the right way to put it after the third one. So you can't really detach this from what happened afterwards in some ways. Mm. But I guess we can cover that as we go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi is uh, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Daisy Ridley back as Rey, John Boyega mm-hmm. back as Finn, uh, Hamill returning as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Lupita Nyong'o, Anthony Daniels, Donald Gleeson, Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, it's Benicio del Toro. Uh, Frank Oz is back. It's um, Laura Dern in a in a star making role, almost returned of a star. Yeah, roles for Laura Dern as Admiral Holdo. Mm-hmm. Um, first problem with this film is the runtime. It goes for two hours and thirty two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, by this point in time, it was the longest Star Wars film ever. I don't know how long the third I one. I think uh, the third long. one was was shorter. Um, but uh, the other sort of part that really uh bothered me at the time was as you sort of insinuated there was that uh i liked the force awakens what did you like the force awakens i thought it was fine it was a perfectly cromulent update to a new hope that's exactly what it was and i think that people are forgetting now in hindsight that it's interesting in the years since this film these films started coming out that there has been a, a rehabilitation of a prequel trilogy and mm-hmm. I think that's that's millennials. That's these are kids who grew up. These were their Star Wars films, as, as, you know, the original yeah. trilogy. You and you and I, and mm. so they seem to have a great affinity for these films. I still think they're shite. Yeah. Um, but in 2015, when the Force Awakens came out, I think we all felt like we needed an apology from the Star Wars universe, and I think that's what the Force Awakens was. Oh was, yeah. This is just fan service. It's just a new hope with some new players. Mm-hmm. and a fresh coat of paint and you know what i was good with that i enjoyed yeah. it it yeah. was fun but yeah. i did want something a little bit more substantial for my second course mm-hmm. and i think ryan tried to serve that up but my initial problem with this film when it first came out was it all the leads if you will that uh that jj set up in the first film that mm. uh, we all assume we would then follow through the next two basically ryan decided he wasn't interested in Mm. Um, and he just basically did a, he almost rebooted the trilogy again in mm. the second film with, you know, obviously we do have Kylo Ren and his relationship with Ray, but yeah. apart from that, it's kind of, let's just forget about what happened in the last one. He takes out Snoke halfway through the film. Snoke's nobody. Um, the idea that Ray is, you know, who her parents really are. He sets up in this film and basically says she has no interesting lineage. She's nobody. Her parents were. You know, who dumped her and scraps chunks, chunks yeah. and um, that uh, she's not a Skywalker, she's not as we know now, she's a Palpatine. Mm. Um, and all of those leads and interesting ideas that we, you know, we just toss aside for what, what Ryan wanted to do, and that feeds into what you said. I mean, I feel like if you're going to do it this way, you kind of need to have a Bible. Mm-hmm. This is the story we're telling, this is who Ray is, this is who everybody is, and this is where. These are the beats this film needs to hit. So there's been Colin Trevorrow, theoretically at the time, comes mm-hmm. in and picks up the reins for the next one. This is what he needs to do. Yep. 
and that didn't happen. Obviously, they just no. gave free reign to Ryan. In a way, that's quite impressive. But then you end up with a thing like this, and like you just ignore the last one. And then JJ comes along in the next one. He says, "Just ignore everything that Ryan did. I'm going to set it back to the film that I made." And you're like, "Yeah, what the fuck." Um, and this film looks a lot better when you see the third one. Like, it, oh yeah, the rise of Skywalker or whatever it's called is just hilariously it's awful gross. i went back after watching this i went back and i watched the rise of skywalker and it is canonically bad objectively bad in every regard but we are talking about the last jedi so i because it, you can't separate them in the sense that like i really didn't like this when it came out a lot i like it a lot more now after having seen what came after it. you're like mm. you know okay well it's not perfect but mm. um so that's my first problem is it ignores what happened before. What I do mm. like about this is I think the performances yet again are on point. Uh, for mm-hmm. what they're given to do, the the film works well. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, the new the new cast are all good. Oscar Isaac in particular, I think, is very good in this as the young hothead. Yeah. Yep. Um, Mark Hamill gives probably his best on screen performance, not animated, for forty years. Uh, he's mm-hmm. actually watching it back again. I think he's incredible as Luke Skywalker in this film. Mm-hmm. I don't like what they did with him in this film, um, in his character, but given what he was to work with, he he was amazing as he tends to be. He's in incredible form. Adam Driver mm. gets stronger every one of these films. Like he started interesting in the first one. He's the only thing had keeping the third one remotely interesting is Kylo. Um, he's an incredible actor. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, Laura Dern, I think, is fantastic mm-hmm. as Admiral Holdo. Controversial character with the men's rights people. Um, and I, I think I overlooked Benicio Del Toro's performance the first time around as well. I actually quite enjoyed him in this. I enjoy him in pretty much any movie that he's in. But I also see, as, you know, there's, there's the legend that goes along with him and he, the, the choices that he made with his character from brief mention already the usual suspects where he said to brian singer nothing i say actually adds value to anything here so why don't i just mumble it and that made for an interesting compelling unusual character and the relationship that he had this established set up with the baldwin boy it, it worked well and similarly here his character the whole canto bite sequence is a big social message that should not really it doesn't doesn't fit into this star wars movie of ah warmongers bad and they're obviously on both sides blah 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 and let's have the big weird space horse race thing going on as well mess but his character and the kind of flip-flop of him was kind of fun i i had a weird scenario where i I dreamed, or I, I could have sworn that in the movie, after he um, sells them out, he just gets shot. I I had this dream where, sort of like, um, uh, Brendan Gleeson's son, Don, Donald Gleeson, is it? Is it Don? Donald Gleeson from, yeah. from um, Harry Potter. Yeah. I, I felt like he, there was a scenario where he gave him, or he had pulled out this kind of crate of money or whatever, gave it to him. He's like, well, now that we've confirmed it, why should we keep you alive? Boom, and just shoots him. But that didn't happen. That would have been cool. That would have been really interesting. And it would have worked because one of my problems, it's not a problem with this film, but when you stop and think about it, is he's not in the third film. His character no. just disappears from the trilogy. 
Yeah. Like, why would you set him up to double cross the, double cross the, you know, the, what do they call themselves now? The Rebels or the, the Alliance? I don't know. The Alliance. Yeah, the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> I don't know, are they still a Rebel Alliance? The Rebellion? I don't know. Um, yeah. the Rebels. Yeah, cool. Okay. He, he, he double crosses them. I would have thought then he, you know, it would be, he would be at some point, some payoff for that would be in the third yeah. film. They yeah. catch up with a la Boba Fett in, in, in mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. He gets eaten by the Sarlacc. I mean, yeah. but they just, JJ just ignored it. We go, fuck it. I'm not, touch, I'm not yeah. touching anything that Ryan did. Um, and, and interestingly in the third, uh, in the Rise of Skywalker, there's the great sequence. It's, you know, God bless Richard E. Grant for when, they um when Don and Gleason's kind of spouting on about something oh they they attack me it's like oh very good turns around and just shoots him dead it's like we found the mole <laughs> excellent I love Richard E. Grant he's he's I bet it was Sam Rockwell's one of my favorite actors of all yeah. time yeah um so I, I think there were some things I was a bit hard on in those areas mm. like especially uh Benicia del Toro uh, Laura Dern's Alvin Holdo and, and Luke Skywalker's performance. Mm. Even the toss the lightsaber over his head, which was originally, I'm like, what the fuck? Mm. Um, kind of worked a little better for me second time around. There's still a lot that I don't think they got right in this film. I think there was a lot of good ideas in here, mm-hmm. but I think he needed his firmer hand on the shoulder to go a, a George Lucas, a Steven Spielberg as almost a mentor to go, the social messaging is interesting, but does it belong in a Star Wars film? Mm-hmm. The entire Cando bite sequence. I know you and I had this conversation a million times. Mm. That the film, it's two and a half hours long. It needs 20, 25 minutes cut out of it. That mm-hmm. needed to be severely cut down. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't belong. Mm. Um, the re- Carrie Fisher's uh, Princess Leia Mary Poppins moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember laughing in the cinema going, that looks ridiculous. Yes, I know the insinuation is that she's a Jedi as well, and maybe she's had some training in between Jedi and now, but we don't know about. They could have covered that in one or two lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, well, but obviously she can do that then, right? Like, um, But they didn't do any of that. She just does it, and then it looks silly. Um, yeah. The Force Skype uh, or should we say update that the force zoom ability that um, <laughs> that everybody that everybody everybody has now in this film but nobody's ever had before. This is one of my problems with these films. The force can now do whatever it needs to do to get the story over the line. I'm like, why has no one done that before? Yeah. Um, but now they can. Oh, but you uh, haven't read certain um, cherry-picked canon things, Travis. Yeah, obviously, if you have to read the book to get the film. My, and one of my massive complaints about this is how they treat Finn. John Boyega, yeah. I think, was probably, along with Ray, the star of the first one. Yep. He is not the star of this. He gets relegated to a boring-ass B story uh, with um, uh, Rose, Tico. Kelly, Rose Tico, Kelly Marie Tran, who... Mm her credit does the best with a very poorly written role um and then you know that just that ends in a really ugly way for me like i mean i kind of like the idea of finn sacrificing himself for his friends to take out the cannon at the end but he doesn't and oh then there's the kiss at the end of it again in the third film she's hardly in it because everybody hated that character and you're like you've dedicated a giant chunk of screen time to a character that people hate Mm. and I mean, it seems it's really done John Boyega dirty for me. Like he was fantastic. It was one of our highlights 
about the first film was a relationship between he and Ray. In it, it was kind of, I mean, there was obviously the angle of will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. But it turned up being actually almost a brother-sister kind of relationship, a little bit like Luke and Leia without the kissing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the the thing with, with that scenario, um, one, I think, especially considering what Ryan Johnson was, his his mandate for this was show us, uh, show them something different. And in some areas, he succeeded. In other areas, he went too far off. It was unfamiliar territory for people who are very protective of the Star Wars brand. But then I agree with you. Finn should have died. He should have just gone in and done it. That would have been one hell of a statement. And it would have broken the expectation of the trilogy. It's like, oh, yeah, we've got this core group that doesn't change throughout all three. You, you're actually killing one off? You're not just putting him and into you're killing, And you're not just killing off the old folks, right? Like, we killed mm-hmm. off Han in the first one, which is, was, you know, an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, this is one of their new stars, like the young characters. Yeah. That, that means anyone can cop it, right? Yeah. Like, stakes. That's, that's, that's early Game of Thrones. Oh, don't get don't get your hopes up for this character surviving. That, that would have kept you very interested. And then... In the third one, there's weird a weird scenario where they're they're in the middle of this desert planet and they're trying to find the MacGuffin to find the Sith planet. And as they're just sinking under the quicksand, Finn just says, like, there was something I've, I did, never got to tell you, and then disappeared. And then she says, oh, what were you going to say? It's like, oh, I'll tell you later. And they never get back to it. Like, oh, okay. <sighs> and... Um. It just when when you kind of go back and you see them all, it just kind of has ramifications on stuff that came before it and stuff that came after it. All of those movies and every everything, it it, it resonates somehow in a way that when you go back and you watch it, you go, oh yeah, they they really didn't treat Finn right in the second one, and they especially like he, didn't they treat him in the third. They weren't interested in him anymore. The relationship between him and Poe was fantastic as well, and they yes. basically ign- that gets ignored. Like when you got two characters on screen who have that kind of chemistry together, don't you want to see like it's like mm-hmm. separating Han and Chewie at the start of Empire and not bringing them back together till the last five minutes? You want Han and Chewie on screen together, you know? Yes, like, thank you. These, these guys, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm sorry. That actually, might come off as me comparing. John to the wrong of those two characters. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he and Poe have fantastic chemistry, and I love, mm. I loved seeing them bounce off each other, mm-hmm. and um, him being, as I said, relegated to a completely irrelevant subplot. Yeah, um, I, I found very annoying. Yeah, and just some of the other stuff in there is just really silly. Like the first scene doesn't make any sense to me. Space the bombers. Opening, the space bombers. Why are they dropping? Gravity bombs. I, I think at some point someone said, "Oh, if you if you read the, the book, they're actually magnetic." And you're like, "That's not on the screen." And um, and the the other element to that is what? Okay, so they're magnetic, which, uh, but you know, if everything else has been why why were the bombers going so slow? Are they not also familiar? These are they've got spaceships. Why are they familiar with the idea of missiles? Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, obviously, I'm not supposed to be thinking this, but that scene makes no sense. So it just it looks like, why, why is this happening? Why do they, what, why are they? The not, only they... reason why 
is to cause a huge loss to further the um, the hothead of, of Poe. Po. It, it happens. So the movie, so the movie can happen. But you know, yeah, that is it, and it's <laughs> painfully obvious that that is why it is not story. It is they try and induct story into it with Rose's sister and the the medallion thing that has a moment. <laughs> um, it, it, it's otherwise it's like, all right. You could have done almost anything. Siri, seriously. Um, uh, give me seriously? my last, my last major complaint about this or two, if you mm. can, I guess it didn't happen in the first one. So I guess it's maybe more related to that, but like, how do you get all four main stars back and not get them on screen at one point in time? How mm. does Luke Han, Chewie and Leia not share a scene in this trilogy? Yeah. That's criminal. So fair yeah. enough that happened in the last one. We can't do that. Yeah. Luke doesn't share a scene with Carrie Fisher. How do you not do that? In this he doesn't share a scene with he has Chewie, sort of. I guess that's something, but he has a moment with Chewie. And there there is a moment with um uh Luke and Leia where he gives her the golden um dice. I must have missed that. I must have been watching that's, that bit. But I mean that's he's, just before he steps out. The uh, the ghost yeah, but my main complaint here is the, the, the ghost Jedi thing when he force zooms himself onto the fake Hoff planet to uh, distract, uh, you know, Adam Driver mm-hmm. for, and give the uh, Rebels a chance to escape. And I'm like, wouldn't it? I know people kind of like this scene. It is kind of badass, but I'm like, wouldn't it have been even more badass if he was actually there and actually went head to head? with kylo like kylo i mean we never got to see luke be a proper jedi he was still in training at the end of return of a jedi he kind of is still the student and just Mm -hmm. a a plucky young student who managed to defeat um vader and the empress but there's that one scene in the mandalorian where he just goes fucking nuts like and just kills everybody on that one imperial ship and you're like oh now that's what i want to see from my luke skywalker and mm-hmm. just seeing him actually go head to head proper with um kyle and lose she has mm. to do would have been super cool uh mm. as opposed i guys felt like that oh he's force projecting himself and then he just disappears on the planet he was on i'm like i don't know like i guess the force isn't real but again it's like he's telling me you can do whatever you need it to do and it's like it just doesn't click with everything else we've been told about it to date and i don't know it just didn't it felt like a cop-out ending to me even though it was a pretty cool scene it could have been cool i tend to agree with you but i'm not as um chastising to to you uh as to that scene as you as you seem to be i the the fucking visual of it just lone guy just walking through that gaping hole in the shell and just standing there that's that's fucking badass that oh the is... and the uh the uh yeah. shoulder brush off was uh it, was it, fun i'll give you everything that thing about it was awesome and this the even even this like where it cut to um kylo ren just going more more they're just screaming yeah. at him it's like okay that's that's cool. I love what they're doing with this. They're really building this motherfucker up. This is awesome. Um, and I loved, even though there is no reason for it, but the the, the salt 
and then the red, and it's sort of like, oh, you could have seen that it was forced, he wasn't leaving any marks. That was a kind of nice little nod akin to when you go back and you watch Lord of the Rings and Legolas is walking on top of the snow. He's not buried in it. So that's a nice little visual ad. And it's like, that's cool. And I did appreciate the the literal sunsetting of Luke Skywalker. Um, I wish that they had chosen to not kill him off. Just... It would have been, you know, they could have just left it nebulous and just watched him as there's like that floating and John Williams' awesome music is there. And then he just drops. And then we don't go back to fucking Luke Skywalker. And then you could have left him to come back however you wanted in the third one as the Force Ghost. Or bring him fucking back. Um, it you, you could have just written him out in that regard and just left everyone going oh i think he's alive no i think he's dead whatever doesn't matter it would have been cool it would have been better than seeing finality let your imagination fill in the gaps ladies and gentlemen that's the big thing can i give some props here to things i think he did do well though absolutely i've said it before if people who we probably if people will be listening when we actually probably read it for the first time mm-hmm. he's going might remember this but the whole what became known as the holo maneuver Mm-hmm. one of the most genius things i've seen in the star wars film period mm-hmm. amazing her ramming her ship into the dreadnoughts and saving the fleet yeah um is amazing and i'm yep. like and the fact that he just the sound design of that scene of just the silence in space absolutely perfect absolutely. amazing yeah. scene and it's things like that that make me go he had some incredible ideas here mm-hmm. um it's a shame it just didn't quite convalesce into a bit of product but so when you see stuff like that you're like oh okay we are dealing with a serious talent here in terms yeah. of ryan johnson you, people yeah. you don't do that by accident no um going back to Cano bite which i said they shouldn't have had but seeing that they did do it the insinuation i liked the insinuation that ryan put in the film that it didn't matter who you were it, you could still be a force user or a, a potential Jedi. You mm. didn't have to be on a particular bloodline. That, yeah. And that's actually a very political message. If you think about mm. it, that's actually mm. a very, I would say a socialist message from uh, someone. I don't know what his political leanings are, but mm. the idea that you, it doesn't matter who your parents are or what your family is, your natural ability can make you whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe that was what he was going for for the whole idea of you know Ray isn't anybody her parents were junk dealers. I think he was. I think yeah. he was because to me that is more poignant than and more believable than fucking Palpatine having children. He is not interested in any any of that. Everything that we have ever been shown on screen, he has been single bloody minded on one thing. And so like, oh yeah, go home. It's all like, oh hey, honey, yeah. Oh, what a day in the office. <laughs> no, come on. He was, no, he you're was right. a loner. It, 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 he didn't trust fucking anyone. And the the scene at the end of this where the kid walks out the door and just holds his hand and the broom pops up into his hand, I'm like, it's beautiful. It was a beautiful mm-hmm. final scene in that film. And it really reinforced that message yes. that he's been trying to give us all the way through is it doesn't matter who you are. You know where you come from you can be anything which is mm-hmm. a very uplifting message in a way mm. and a really nice way to leave leave you know uh leave the film but 
Obviously, yeah. J.J. Abrams feels incredibly differently about that because that was <laughs> we just ignored that scene. That scene led to nothing. Nope. And we reversed his, uh, you know, that Ray, oh, I was lying. And actually, oh, you are actually mer- related to somebody who's a you know, famous force user. And you're like, oh, okay, that was yeah, a bit boring. I mean, once you set the path, you kind of have to stick to it. Mm. Um, so, but I thought that was really done. Those two scenes in particular mm-hmm. really were done super nicely. And it, it, it did make the film stand out. I think I failed to recognize when I first saw it how good mm. those two things were. Mm. My um, one that I liked and at the same time because of what's happened in Ahsoka don't like because there is literally no continuity in something that is continuity heavy um, is the fact that, you know, it was quite a cool concept. I don't think it was particularly well executed of literal chase sequence in space because fuel is a finite thing. That was cool. That was a clever concept of being able to have that chase sequence. I don't think it entirely worked. I did like the way that it kind of did. He tried to rank, crack it up each time. And the fact that Holdo did have a plan of sorts to go on. Um, But then in Ahsoka, Grand Admiral Thrawn has been away for years and years and years and years and years with a big, you know, Star Destroyer. And it's still fueled, running perfectly fine. It's not, you know, no, no degradation to it or anything like that. Oh, um, what fuel are they using? I, I, I want to know. <laughs> that'd, be, yeah, that'd be handy. The other problem with a chase sequence for me was, well, I tried to be fair about this. I have never mentioned fuel once up till now. Yeah. So, okay, it's a bit of a new thing. But I guess fair enough. they got to run on something. Hmm. Second thing is, as my understanding, I am not a physics major, but once a ship is going at a certain speed in space, <laughs> it will continue to go at that speed forever until something stops it from going that speed. So they, the fact that they would run out of fuel would not slow them down. Don't don't give me any of your hokum pokum science fiction stuff, Travis. <laughs> that's, Sorry. That's, look, I could, if I'm wrong, you know. When I'm but... in my car, if I want to keep it going forwards, I've got to keep my foot on the gas. And I, I think the conditions on Earth are comparable to those in space. Um, <laughs> Unless it's uh, John Wick France. But, I, case, I, but uh, I found myself going, I was watching it going, not this time, but first time, wouldn't they, they just keep going? Yeah. Um, I don't, <laughs> so I don't know. But you're right, it was an interesting idea that, mm. again, didn't a lot of his films, interesting ideas didn't quite come together. Yeah. The degree of difficulty of what he was trying to do here was significantly higher than what had happened before and after. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. so props props to Ryan Johnson for that. I guess we're never going to see that Star Wars trilogy he was going to make. Um, I think that's off the table now. Um, God only knows. No one, no one knows what's actually going on over there. Not even them. Um, but honestly, I'm. You know, everything that Star Wars has produced in those six years, like we said at the start, has been middling. At best. best, like, like yeah. um, the Mandalorian started off very strong with the first season. Second season was good. Third season, okay, whatever. Boba Fett. They got bored of the character Boba Fett in the finale. That's that's not a good sign. And Ahsoka, there's elements of it that are kind of good, but at the same time, it's like, okay, what are you actually trying to do here? Are you trying to 
make up for the shit that was young Anakin Skywalker, and you're trying to make that valuable now by retconning and um, force-correcting the narrative? Or are you trying to actually just tell a story about a, a character that's like a, a Ronin Jedi, which is a cool concept. And the things that people tell me about the character of Ahsoka is like, cool, tell me that story. Oh, you're not going to tell me that story. You're going to tell me a story about everyone else around her. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've not heard good things. I haven't watched Ahsoka, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've not heard good things about it. So yeah. I, I think I've come to a point a bit like you have with a lot of this stuff is they're not making this for me anymore. Yeah. These are, this is a, these are characters from the Rebels. Yeah. So it's for kids yep. who grew mm-hmm. up watching that and I didn't. So yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you. You got the keys now, technically. Yeah. I am not going to. Um, you, you can pick one if you want, but I mean, <laughs> it, we, we're probably better to, to uh, keep people waiting, I'm guessing. We will keep people waiting, honestly. Um, but there, one of the delights of this show, uh, of this movie, is that there are so many great paths that we can go down you're no shortage um, of big people big stars in this film there's lots yeah, of different options and certainly one of the ones that was high on my list of the next one would be ex machina with oscar isaac and don gleason that's a good film i enjoyed that one very much when i absolutely, saw that absolutely absolutely should we move from a sublime to the ridiculous <laughs> which one <laughs> well i'm Talking about the true ridiculous, which is the 1973 strengthly influential Doll Squad, because I Doll think this squad. one, I don't know how you went with this one, but I, this is going to be a short segment, this one, yeah, because, um, yeah, <laughs> the Doll Squad was released in 1973. I had trouble finding an exact release from, you know, September. Yeah. Um, it, it, so I picked one that just came out that year, and that was this, and that's what this, mm-hmm. the wheel told us to watch. Squad of beautiful government agents tries to catch saboteurs. Sabotages. Whoa. Sabotage. And apparently, why I said this film is strangely influential, it's speculated that Aaron Spelling got the idea for Charlie's Angels after attending the premiere. Mm-hmm. I was originally, oh, is this a ripoff? But it's not. It apparently inspired Charlie's Angels. Hey, they're different Karen- words. Quentin Tarantino has said that the film was a strong influence for the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad and Kill Bill. And I also have to imagine he also be an influence Fox for Force um, Fox Force 5. Yeah. Um, and Sissy Spacek apparently auditioned for a role as one of the dolls, who, of course, I uh, was a, an Academy Award winner, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, very well-known actor. you got to worry about your um, career path if you didn't get the job as one of the dolls, considering the level of talent on display in this uh <laughs> and there's a link to star wars cc spacek was the original choice to play princess leia of course mm-hmm. um uh, <laughs> but that is where the interesting things about this film end yes this yes, is I a very that. very very low budget 1970s it, it almost well, apparently like the st- budget was about two hundred seventy-six thousand dollars. That's and... I don't know what a normal budget was back then, but that's not honestly. I feel like that's not on the screen. No, and and one of the trivia bits is that uh, the director had to sell his Cadillac to finance the the the, the movie. It's like, really? What did you spend it on? Because this almost feels like watch, watching this movie, it kind of feels a little bit like an Edward D. Wood Jr. movie. 
and it's like okay there's a lot of stock footage of a spaceship at Cape Canaveral coming uh, taking off and it's like ah oh, yes we've got long looks at, across the the water and oh yes a boat going out that uh, absolutely is the one that the doll squad is on yes 100 percent no so in terms of plot there, there is, is a sort of um <laughs> there is a terrorist or something who is uh blowing up space launches spaceships so rockets for some, somehow sabotaging and blowing them do. up for reasons um uh and <laughs> the, the guy who owns the rockets i guess and another dude who obviously <laughs> seems that works for the CIA or something like that, um, decide, put it into a, a situation into a computer, and the computer nominates their best option to uh, take down the saboteurs and, 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 and you know, save a space program or whatever. And yeah, yeah. it turns out the Doll Squad is that what the computer spits out as the best option. Yeah. The Doll Squad is, as it says, a, a group of beautiful government agents. And I think, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a bit mean here, but Beautiful is a very strong term. Um, they look like a bunch of retired strippers. Yeah. Um, and the main, uh, the leader is Sabrina Kincaid, played by Francine York. Let's be um, honest here. Sabrina Kincaid is a cool name. Yes. Cool name. Uh, I was going to say, but um, she was um, 36, 37 when this film came out. So... You know, it's uh, not old, but she's a no, strong No, it's fan. not old. We're not old. Shut up. <laughs> but I don't know. She looks every bit of it and a bit more. Um, and sorry, that's a really mean thing to say. But I'm like, surely if you're going to make this film, you're going to make a film that's supposed to be, you know, uh, about beautiful young gay agents, you would hire, you know, beautiful women to be in it. Um, but they, they haven't really done that. Um, no. What considering... I'm curious about is, you know the sequence where she goes and she's recruiting the women yeah. when she goes to the karate place, and the, the woman that she's talking to has got that like grey hair that just, it looks like a magpie is nested in there. <laughs> I... it, it is an interesting choice, and, and uh, I was going like... to say, this film was repackaged and redistributed in the 80s under the name Seduce and Destroy. Um, yeah. I don't know. If you're going to try and make it sound soft, porny, you know, maybe hire some good-looking people. Uh, you know, it's also, if you, I strongly recommend having a look at the IMDb page because it looks like it might have got a re-release at some point and they've created a poster for it that looks exactly like the Charlie's Angels posters from mm -hmm. the early 2000s. Uh, before Charlie's Angels, there was the Doll Squad. Yeah. Um, but So that's a, that's a minor complaint, but you are right that this film, this guy has got no idea about how to make a film. What this film made me think of while I was watching it, apart from was how much I wish I was dead right now. Um, <laughs> that's it's really that bad. It's not even so bad as good. It made me think like, am I? It made me feel like I was watching Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah, this like, would that, have been perfect, perfect for, for that because I was like, there's so many these sort of shots that just don't make any sense. I was like. There's a scene towards the end where they're like raiding a compound where the bad guy is, and it's all sorts of very, you know, average actors playing soldiers or guards riding around on station wagons, and they look like they're holding on for dear life because it's quite obviously just a station wagon with a tray down the back, and they're like, and not yeah. supposed, to, they probably wouldn't get past today. But I'm like, <laughs> it was been like two minutes just with shots of these guys riding around in the desert. I'm like, 
What is your shot supposed to tell me? I understand it. I get it. There are guards there, right? Yeah. Um, the it, acting is awful. Awful. These women can't act. The, the story no. makes no sense. As you mentioned earlier, she goes out and hires a couple of dolls to start with, only for them to be killed two minutes later, like quite brutally too. Yeah. You're like, why even introduce me to these people if they just – what the fuck's going on? Yeah, and 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 then then you've got sort of like uh, um, Sabrina is there, and she meets the the guy that killed one of them before, and you know he he brings out sort of like evidence to kind of say, oh yes, we've killed your two associates already, and then the the, the lighter that's a flamethrower, um, what where where are the rest of the gadgets that these people have? That that was their the... budget. They sorted their budget with that, yeah. and that's it. It's like. Oh my lord! This was this is the this is yeah. It's interesting the um the the rise of Skywalker. Sorry, the Last Jedi. I get them mixed up. Yeah. Um, was an hour longer than this, and I didn't like it very much. Yeah. Uh, I still don't like it very much. Yeah. But it felt like a goddamn breeze compared to this ninety minutes. Yeah. Like this is a long, long, long ninety minutes. Like it's mm-hmm. that bad. Yeah. Um. So, the, oh, my the, friend Ryan's watching on Facebook. He says you can watch this on YouTube. You can watch the entire thing on YouTube. Um, yes. I would absolutely encourage you not to pay for it. <laughs> it's that bad. It's one of – it's possibly the worst thing I've inflicted on this podcast since Death Machine. Ooh. At least wait, at least with Death Machine, the sets looked like they had money spent on them. This it really doesn't. I mean, like, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Imon O'Reilly, the the main bad guy who is a former agent, and apparently we find out later on that him and Sabrina had a relationship at some point, and it <laughs> like the whole sequence at the end where he's captured her and. He, she he's saying like oh how would you kill me and every time they cut to him there's literally a, like a gladiator's sword right on the wall it's like hmm subtlety have you looked up what this word means because you're not you're not doing it you just you're just not um it was, ah, so so much of it just like it was um, it was worse than a student film it really can I give you some context about how bad this film looks? Mm. So a few weeks ago, or maybe two shows ago, we watched American Graffiti, yeah. I think. Two or three. Um, American Graffiti was the third highest grossing film of 1973. Um, that was made on a budget of $777,000, which is about two and a half, three times this film's budget. Mm-hmm. That film looked good. Like, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, I'm fairness, they weren't, a lot happening it was just people driving around but like that looked like an actual film right yes it did <laughs> as it, opposed it to this editing. <laughs> um so you know i'm just looking at some other films so the sting was the highest second highest grossing film of that year it was made for five and a half million the exorcist was the highest grossing film of that year it was made for 12 million mm-hmm. so in fairness 250 isn't a lot mm-hmm. but you can see how people with talent <laughs> <laughs> we're making 
films, uh, low budget films that were a lot better than this. Um, yeah. Not a whole lot more than that. So, yeah. um, this is catastrophically terrible. And yeah. I'm, I'm very, I, I really, I feel like I owe everyone an apology who might have engaged in this because it was, apart from those interesting little snippets, it's terrible. Mm. This, this is, is not a, a good movie and it, it's not even, oh, that's a good idea. I, I will pay it if this was the kind of the, the, the seed that germinated to, to bring about the evolution and the generation of female-led action stars. Cool. That was an important step to, to take in sort of like equality and cinematics. But, oh, it's... It's it's hard to look back on it and just like oh yeah we had to go through that to get to where we are now but that what we went through was definitely not good it was better than what was before but it's still not good um, like I I I I love the idea that there's a computer that just goes all right yes yeah, so think of all these different independent agencies that we've got and this one is absolutely going to fit. But why? Why, why, why do the Doll Squad fit this particular mission? Uh, she gets, she recruits one person who's dancing in front of a band. I presume that she's actually part of the, 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 the sort of like the entertainment there, and not just some random drunk person that's dancing belly dancer style. But the, none of them seem to be displaying any particular skill set that's like oh yes you're going to be able to break into their security you're going to be our demolitions expert or anything like that no there's no, nothing remember, like remember fox force 5 was like the french girl especially with sex and uh yeah uh, her specialty uma firm especially was knives and there was explosives girl yeah. it's interesting when you take an idea like that and filter it through someone who's got actual talent it could have been a fun movie um yeah so like, I, it, I feel like this, if, if Tarantino had just kind of thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to have fun rather than try and maintain my career success. I feel like he would, at some point in his future, he would go, yeah, I'm going to remake the Doll Squad. And he'd probably be able to make something good. Well, it's it would not. be, it would have a budget at least. And, you know, he's, even in his worst to date, he hasn't made anything this awful. Ted V. Nichols is the director, by the way, who passed away a few years ago. Yeah. If you go through his films he, uh, that he was responsible for, I can't see there's many of them over a rating on IMDb of three or four. There's one or two that creeps over that he produced. But you've got to um, respect that moustache. <laughs> and um, a man who, who who corrected something called Blood Orgy of the She-Devils. I mean, it's got a 3.1, so it's probably no good, but like that title. Um, and my friend Ryan, who's watching on Facebook, says he's had a friend who watched a new horror film called Slother House, which is apparently the worst film his friend has ever seen. So I don't even know if that's come out in Australia or if it's going to come out in Australia. But uh, apparently, if you see that kicking around on a streaming server somewhere, Unless you're in the mood for something terrible, I'd probably give it a miss then. But um, I think I think I still, if if I want to watch a trashy horror movie, I still want to watch Velocipasta. Mm. That's that's still number one for me. Ryan's uh, Ryan's searching for a worst film he's ever seen is Norbert, which I Ooh. didn't see, but I do agree. Early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Murphy, hard work. Uh, I would say, 
feel free to jump on and watch us on the Twitch stream or the YouTube's. Yes. <laughs> if we ever come, when we when we come back, jump on and yes. watch on the Twitch screen. Stay tuned to the socials to know when that's going to happen. Yes. You can jump in and give us, we can actually get some uh, feedback and that's, I love it. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we wash that out of our mouth a little bit now and mm. move on to something a little bit more contemporary. Yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem was our newish film of yep. the uh, week. It's out on streaming now, if you want to mm. see it. It came out in August at cinemas. Yep. Um, so it's quick turnaround onto streaming. Mm-hmm. The film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. Yep. Uh, this is written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. So the yep. guys who brought you uh, Pineapple Express and the interview, amongst mm-hmm. other things. Um, directed by Jeff Rowe and Kyla Spears, who I think are best known for Things like Disenchantment, Gravity Falls. Yeah. Um, which I've, I think you liked Disenchantment. I like uh, I like Gravity Falls for sure. Um, uh, Disenchantment, um, I kind of dropped off a little bit, but it was all right. They've got a solid background in animation. Mm. Yeah. Um, stars, uh, we actually have actual teenagers voicing the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, none of whom I'm instantly familiar with, so I'll ignore them for now, but just because they're not good, I just don't think you're going to know their names. Mm-hmm. But there is a pretty big cast in here of other voice actors. Maya Rudolph yep. plays one of the uh, villains. John Cena plays Rocksteady. Seth Rogen's voicing Bebop. Mm-hmm. Rose Byrne, the Australian actor, playing Leatherhead. Uh, yep. The incomparable Giancarlo Esposito is Baxter Stockman. Yep. Jackie Chan turns up as Splinter. Paul Rudd, Ice Cube, Post Malone. Yeah. Um, Mr. Beast. If you are a YouTube uh, person, he is the most watched YouTuber in the world, I think. Mm. Um, so it's all—it's a big cast of Nav. You go, hmm, that voice sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, this film is very heavily influenced, in my opinion, by the Spider Verse films from Sony. It has the, that vibe for me. Especially that that um, kind of almost like handcrafted animation look with the squiggling of pencils for explosions and things like that. It, yeah, this is it. I I do love the time that we are living in for animation because people are getting weird with their animation, and that's just delicious and so good for variety if everyone just went okay you know what we're all gonna just do everything pixar disney how fucking boring would that be it'd be the same as if everyone did studio ghibli style animation it'd be beautiful much like the disney pixar stuff but having the same thing would be boring as sin this into the spider-verse doing different things to try to inform on the story at the very least they're using it as part of the narrative which is the key, key element. Uh, this film, um, for me, is... I've got to be honest. I went into this being a bit... Mm, this is a kid's film. Mm-hmm. It's a film. I don't really want to watch a kid's film. Mm. I think it is aimed at a young audience. Mm-hmm. But I think this is actually one of the best films I've seen this year. Um, I was... I think I've seen a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film since the last CGI Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which came out about 2008. Um, it was just called TMNT. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody forgets about that one. Um, but I really, really dug it. I think uh, the four main uh, cast members who play with the Turtles, Micah Abbey as Donatello, Shimon Brown Jr. as Michelangelo, 
Nicholas Cantu as Leonardo and Bradley Nunes Raphael have yeah. this amazing chemistry together. And I mm-hmm. was not surprised to find out that apparently they filmed a lot of their scenes, sorry, filmed, they recorded a lot of their stuff together. Yeah. Uh, they would actually get all these people together in an actual voiceover booth rather than recording everyone's bit separately and then mixing. Mm. I don't know. It, it felt like they had that kind of live energy to me and mm-hmm. they're kind of talking over each other and their way of speaking to each other felt authentic to me. Yes. I don't spend absolutely. a lot of the time around Zoomers, but like, <laughs> suspect that's what they sound like. Um, With the, the, you can't, you can't edit the, the instant improv and act and react that you get with this it's one of the reasons why the voice work in uh, the fantastic mr fox was great because they did it live with everyone involved and they were able to do those momentary improv bits and pick up a line just that nanosecond quicker so it just felt organic compared to being edited i'm not surprised that they did that because it's teenage mutant ninja turtles everyone knows you got the four of them and their brothers, and they tell they set this movie up so much that they they have to have this extremely close bond. We have to believe that. And that's part of the story. That again, they're using their tools to tell the story correctly. Um, so that re- and that really sets the film up because if you've got that authentic feel from these guys, mm-hmm. you're really watching a bunch of teenagers in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns into a coming-of-age film, really. Yeah. Um, I love the cultural references, the fact that they go to the outdoor movies and watch... Um, uh, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, which is, of course, the granddaddy of, uh, you know, one of the great uh, coming-of-age stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they reference all that kind of thing. Uh, it's It feels authentic. It feels grounded in this real world. Because mm-hmm. um, it's an incredibly fantastical story about mutants. Um, and then their villain is actually kind of interesting. The villain is uh, Superfly, voiced by Ice Cube, who Superfly. is a, 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 a brilliant voice casting, by the way, like brilliant. Um, and his rogues gallery of mutants, including uh, Mondo Gecko, voiced by Paul Rudd, is yeah. perfect. Ray Fillet, uh, Ray Fillet, sorry, uh, Post Malone, who I am. Aware exists. Yep. Um, Genghis Frog, <laughs> Spider, and um, I'm forgetting one here. Leatherhead by Rose Byrne, which, uh, which is, is, is fun. Um, and, of course, Rebuff and Rocksteady, John Cena and Seth Rogen. Um, but the, the initial meeting isn't just like, hey, you're the bad guy. We're going to kill you and da 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 It's like there's actually a scene where they're like, well, these guys actually have quite a bit in common with the bad guy. And the bad guy yeah. almost seems mildly sympathetic at points in time, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to be super sympathetic, but it's it's certainly a lot more complex and well-written than a lot of kids, uh, yeah. young people's content uh, you come across, and adult content for that matter. It's yeah. uh, Superfly is a, a great bad guy. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way, though, that um, the uh, Rogue's Gallery just didn't, you know, become almost like a video game, right? You meet the – got a boss battle against sub-bosses before you go up against the main boss, right? you got to be yeah. – like in the video game, I don't know if you ever played the arcade game. Streets of, of Rage rules, <laughs> um, you know, or um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, arcade game, which is one of my favourites. Yeah. You got to beat Bebop and then Rocksteady and then Shredder and then Krang. Um, <laughs> it doesn't play out that way. Um, uh, it's 
it's a wonderful film. Really, really fun. Um, and if I can give a, a very self-indulgent shout-out there, uh, one of the first things I noticed about the film while I was watching it yesterday was mm-hmm. the music. Yeah. And I'm not lying. I swear to God, people must think I'm bullshitting. I'm not lying. I found myself going, what an interesting score. You know what it reminded me of? I don't know if you've ever heard of a group called Tangerine Dream. Ding, 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 ding. Um, yes, is it anything to do with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross? Well, that's it. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, scored the film. I mean, it, it, yes, and it is it's probably anybody who knows me knows that, that like, Nine Inch Nails are probably my favourite band and I'm a bit obsessed. But I, I, had, I had completely forgotten that he'd voice. He, I remember mentioning this to Michelle a few weeks ago and going, Mutant, what the fuck? Um, and I'd completely forgotten. Yeah. Completely left my bra. I swear to God. Mm-hmm. I'd completely forgotten until I heard the sound and I'm like, I don't know if you've ever seen a film called Miracle Mile that came out in the 80s, has Anthony Edwards in it. Um, it's a nuclear war film. It's really good, actually. Anyway, uh, the, sound, the score of that was done by a synth pop group called um, Tangerine Dream. And early in this film, I'm like, this sounds a lot like that kind of thing, a lot like that score they did for that film, mm. very ethereal and early 80s synthy. Yeah. Which um, is a a big part of, I think, Trent's influences where he sort of started was that yeah. kind of music. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's right. This is this is um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross again. And I swear to God, it happens every time. I'll see a film and he'll be like, fuck, the music in this is good. And then I'll be like, oh, this is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross again. So <laughs> uh, I, and it, it sounds like bullshit, but I swear to God, I, I, it, it, there are two independent thoughts that happen. The thought this is good and then a realisation that it's been done by one of my favourite artists. And mm-hmm. I think the score... And the soundtrack in general on this is sick. I don't know if you caught the Vanilla Ice reference in there, but yes, I sure did. I, d- I definitely did. Um, this this movie is an absolute love letter to the 80s culture and to the birth of the, t- the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and everything that... This is counter-programming for the Michael Bay-produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to, um, movies in that they are literally teenagers. They have the same wants and desires and there's this simple want of being able to go to high school and awkwardness talking to girls. I liked the fact that um, they brought in a young um, April O'Neil and Everything about it, it was just like, no, you know what? We're going to do this. Because the, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoons, they get really dark. And t- by the end of this, in the fight sequences against Superfly, or mutated Superfly, the turtles get beaten to shit. Well, this is them as they're starting out. This is yeah. almost, this is, well, this is an origin story, right? This is yeah. a reboot of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe. And, I mean, everything's a u- very own universe now, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I would give you a heads up. If you do watch this film, stay, don't turn it off at the end. There is a mid-credit scene, which gives a, uh, a a hint at what a potential sequel might look like if it gets made, which mm-hmm. I have no idea how well this film did. So um, I can't say the fact it went to streaming so quickly probably doesn't bode well. Um yeah, but it really should. This is um, 
I'm not going over to, I would say this is probably in one of the top five films I've seen this year. I adored this, the animation, the score, obviously, mm-hmm. the actual soundtrack was good. I mean, the fact that there's a scene where they're all singing What's Up by Four Nine Blondes, A, very, very funny. Then B, to transition from that into an action sequence where they used the version of What's Up by Four Nine Blondes from the famous He-Man internet meme. If you don't know it, type He-Man, what's up? You will enjoy it. I guarantee it. Um, that they use, I was like, I was pissing myself. I was like, this is fucking good. These people, they're exactly what they're, um, what they're doing. Uh, and I think if you've got kids, a certain age, I'm guessing, I don't know. I don't have kids, so I don't know exactly how old they have to. I'm guessing 10, 11. What do you think? You deal with children a little bit more commonly than me. 11, 12? Yeah, this is this is uh, kid friendly for sure. Yeah, there's not there's no swearing. There's no. no not a massive amount of violence. Obviously, there's their Ninja Turtles, so they there's yeah. you know fights, but like there's not like you no know, blood loss or anything like that. There's no sexual activity to be concerned about there. And I would say, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve will be kind of your time frame for. And I think they'll yeah. really. In- this is like Pixar at their best. This is a big statement, but like you remember when Pixar used to make films that would be the kids would love it because. It's bright, it's colourful, it's fun, hmm. and it'd be full of references that only the adults are going to get. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's the kind of film I think we're looking at here, and I, I think this is a, a triumph. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I still liked it a lot. Um, I just felt like it was a little too pandering. To um... you take that back. <laughs> I, I just felt like it was pandering a little bit too much um, to to everything um, that that came before. It, I I respected it, but it was just too much. It was just too much. They could have taken like twenty percent of the sort of cultural references out and just gone. Okay, let's you know what let's streamline this. It was an hour and forty six minutes, I think. Um, hour thirty nine. So hour this 39. is actually the same length, I think, as the Dolph Squad. So. Mm. This definitely went quicker than the Doll Squad. <laughs> so FYI, but, it took it took a hundred about one hundred and eighty million globally. Mm-hmm. On a seventy-six so, million budget. That's okay. It's not bad. Not bad. I think it's enough to warrant a a sequel at some point. Um, but um, more than anything, I I found the story a little bit kind of boring. Um, but it was entertaining in its, the fact that it did actually try to build relatability between the heroes and the villain. So often it's just like, oh no, they, they have to be different. Um, and it's not often that you get scenarios like, like Panther, where you had that great, um, kind of coming together of the two Killmonger and Black Panther at the end where... Black Panther did change his ways because the the bad guys, he actually made a lot of sense. And you can learn from the bad guys. And I respect that. And that's about connection between the characters and not just keeping them apart because they have to confront. It's that's, that's not, that's not the only, only option. Um, what I did like is the animation though. The animation was really stunning. It looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks good. It plays well to the source material, like I said at the start. It 
captures and is part of the character of the of the movie and of the kids that we are watching um it's got that vitality to it there's a visceral nature to it it's raw and emotional um and i do love just love the fact that people are willing to try these different things because this could have so easily been animated in the same way that tmnt was with that kind of smooth edges and you know but that's vapid when not actually part of the identity of the movie. If they're just using it because that's the quick way of getting um, the, the 3D animation to be done and just like, oh, this way we don't have to worry about bone structure or anything like that. Like, no, you're, you're actually putting effort into it. And the, the close-ups on the kids where they, they even simulated kind of fingerprints on them like it looked looked like they were kind of made out of kind of um, mold or clay or something like that. It just worked. It added that element to it. And the music, as you say, it was a character in the movie and it inspired and informed on the kids and the action. There's a lot going on really well with this. It just wasn't, a, I've never been a huge Turtles fan. Um, so it's not something that I you might be a little noticed. young. It was really, really sad. It really hit big in about when I was about thirteen. Mm. And so maybe you might you're probably six or seven at that point in time. So oh, I still definitely um like the first Turtles movie. I still was I was I, I, I was and always will be a Donatello boy. <laughs> Love me that. Purple Don, you're gonna be you're either a Donatello boy or you're wrong. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's especially in the video games that bow was the best weapon. Oh, it was um, badass, especially yeah. in the arcade game. Um, it's it, uh, I, there's a review here for, on from Skink Screen Crush that I think really summed it up for me. Mm. Um, so many blockbusters these days are designed to comfort viewers with the familiar, giving them exactly what they expect in narcotizing doses of beloved intellectual properties. I really fucking like that line: narcotizing mm. doses of beloved intellectual properties. While Mutant Mayhem obviously originated from the same commercial impulse. It adds a lot more, a lot of novel wrinkles to the old Ninja Turtles formula. That was a good call. Um, mm. Don't expect, maybe a little bit, maybe you can see we were a little bit off course here on this one, but um, I think it's high quality stuff, at least. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, it's a good family film, I think, a bit long the way the Spider-Verse films are. Mm. It, you know, I think you could take your kids comfortably to this and not worry too much about the content um, and, and both have a good time. I would Absolutely it's a much better film than say Super Mario Brothers from last year for me anyway. I mean Super Mario Brothers was perfectly fine. It did exactly what it was setting out to do, but it wasn't it wasn't doing anything more. That and... was a narcotizing dose of familiar IP for me. It was fine, you're right. It wasn't awful. Yeah. It was okay. But I just think this is if you're gonna if you're thinking about taking your kids to something uh, well, you probably won't be anymore because I don't think it's at the cinemas, but if you you're gonna find something to to shut them up for a couple of hours, I think this is good content. Hmm. Yeah. Should All we right. move on to the last, very last binge browse burn of the year? Binge browse burn, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. So, what have you got, my friend? Have you got well, any? Well, yes, I got a couple. Uh, okay. Season two of Loki has landed last week. Uh, yes. Um, episode one. Episode one. I haven't. Don't know if episode two's up yet. I think it might it's, be. Um, I think it's late, later tonight. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry, no, people. Where you know, um, I uh, didn't love season one 
for, mm-hmm. for reference, it had its moments. Yeah. This is not good. This is particularly not good. Um, for me, it came down to a point at the end of the episode where you had uh, Owen Wilson, Tom Hiddleston, mm-hmm. and Ki Huey Kwan on screen together. Three of, I think, at least two of the most charismatic actors of the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think as somebody who everybody fucking loves, I love Kei Kwan. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so excited to see him get good work now, like see him pop yep. up and stuff. And I was bored shitless about what was going on. I couldn't have cared less what yep. was going on. And like, I found myself thinking back to something you said a while ago. I can't remember if it was about Marvel or Star Wars. Might have been Star Wars. Disney. You said, they're not making things for me anymore. I might watch them, but it's not for me anymore. I might yeah. be misquoting you. but And that I think I'm there with Marvel. Yeah. Uh, IGN gave us a five out of ten, uh, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay." And they have been absolutely ripped to shreds online for people going, "Oh my god, it's so good! How can you say it's five out of ten? It's so good! It's like a real movie! It's amazing! Marvel's back!" I nope. don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe I'll, I'll probably go back for more because you know, there's not much else to watch right these days. You At the moment, yeah, because I'm, of the writers' strike. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, but so Loki finds himself lost to time and torn quite literally between past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. Yeah, I'm the same. It's um, and honestly, there was a a a thing about sort of like the future of the MCU and how do you think everything's going so far? How have they handled this latest phase? And I think they have absolutely not only dropped the ball but just dumped a pile of poo all over the mall because um secret invasion was not good from start to finish bad um uh ms marvel was had elements of quirky um the uh kamala khan um she was quite good in the role she was like bright and effervescent and she was obviously has a natural love for this character but she wasn't given anything she hulk was dross um and then we've got loki and the next big marvel movie is the marvels you know you're in trouble when the most interesting character in there is to me at least um kamala khan and i haven't even seen the tv show like Mm. i mean that's like she actually looks like she could be fun to watch yeah um but it's uh I've, Ryan has said on the, my on my Facebook stream here that he mm. um, found it very convoluted. I think that's a good description. Mm. There's a lot of different things going on. A lot of got to get the thing to get to the thing to build the thing to go over there to do the thing to you know beam you down to stop you from doing the other thing. And I'm like, yeah, feel a bit video gamey fetch quest to you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the problem. I mean, it's it's kind of that i mean thinking about it as an open world rpg is a really good way of putting it they're putting loads of content out there none of it is particularly connected at the moment there it is what it is but it's like oh choose your own adventure you want to follow this character okay that's that's fine but make those side quests good if you want us to invest in them make them good because this is an investment of our time, and if we don't like it, we're not going to want to go on those on all the other things that you're doing. So treat them with respect, and they're not. 
they're very clearly not. It's a factory. And I've we've I've said this about Disney at nauseum for years now. They are a factory for making billion dollar properties. That is all that they really care about. They don't actually care about story. That is incidental. And especially considering how they treat the writers guild. They've you know they they don't they, they don't respect the craft of storytelling. They respect the craft of the money. And I get that. Let's say they're a business. They exist to make money. Yeah. Uh, what what they need to be convinced of is creativity equals money. Yeah. Um, and it's a date. That's where Marvel started, right? It was cre yeah. quite creative. The stuff that they were doing was interesting, right? We talked that mm -hmm. nauseum about how they reinvented the superhero film to be a genre film with superheroes in it. Yep. Uh, the buddy cops mm -hmm. with superheroes being for Ragnarok and you know um spy film spy and soldier yeah superheroes and it's like but they've run out of ideas or they've they've kind of got to the point where they're like they're not actually investing in creative artists anymore we hear stories about like with black widow a couple of years ago where they basically took control of the film away from Ke the uh director mm. yeah it's australian actor australian director's name who escapes me right now and they basically said well we'll do the action scenes you just do the rest of it and, and I wouldn't be surprised if that happens quite a bit with their stuff, right? So yeah. the actual creative force behind creating, making something doesn't really control it. They mm. kind of guide it with Marvel's heavy, um, Disney's mm. you know, heavy hand on their shoulder telling them that. I just don't care about this show. No. I Basically, the first episode was bridging from the end of last season into what this season is going to be about, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um and every time Kang pops up on screen, I'm like, what are you going to do about that guy, huh? <laughs> we haven't heard any more about those allegations now, have we, Dizzy? It's, have it's, you it's been decided? Guy, you decided what you're going to do? Is he Kang or is he not Kang? Yeah. You know, you're in a world of fucking hurt if that guy gets locked up or found guilty of something, right? Like, yeah. Um, so Jonathan May is, is a little problematic right now, but his face is all over this film show, sorry. Mm. So anyway, um, this is supposed to be short. I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. Um, I don't think I've liked anything Marvel's done since Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy was okay. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy was all right. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a shell of what it was. And, yeah, to a certain degree, there's going to be that point of, sort of like, yes, you've reached this high. You're not going to be able to reach that. So you do something different. And maybe they are trying to do something by going a little more galactic and stuff. But you still have to make it relatable and yeah, actually engaging. But the audience is there. It's got an 8.5 on IMDb. Uh, I think people really liked episode one of season two. I mm. don't know what they see in it. I think people are just a little too easy to please. I liked Key's character. I thought uh, he's, he always... he's so good in everything. Like, yeah. give this man the indie franchise. Seriously, like the last one was a pile of shit, so I don't think they're going to make another one anytime soon. But seriously, how are you not going? He's an Academy Award winner. People love him. He would short round takes over as Indy. He is such a passionate actor. He's got so much love and excitement. You see, see all the stuff of him on the red carpets and things like that. He's he's just bubbling with joy. And you, he brings that into every role that he has, this energy, and it, you can't help but watch him. 
And he's been like that since he was a kid in the Goonies and in uh, as Short Round. He was wonderful, fantastic, and he showed so much depth and range and emotion in everything, everywhere, all at once. And then here he's got the the odd quirkiness and that energy and so like it 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 just works from an audience perspective but it doesn't kind of he's i feel he's kind of with the show he's kind of was a little wasted in this for me yeah. that he was i mean he was charming and he was fun he was closest to the anything that made me want to watch more but mm. i don't think he was particularly well served by the material he was given but mm. that's loki season two yeah yeah I, yeah. You have time to watch television anymore, or I don't really have much time to watch watch anything anymore. But um, I did spend some time with um, uh, some more time in uh, Baldur's Gate three, and I've played a little bit of the multiplayer of that, and that is really fun. Everybody because... says it's great. Every, I mean, mm. do you have? What would you say? Well, my question for you is: uh, it's really heavily D and D based, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not not being a D and D player um, mm. yet. Mm. Um, <laughs> would you say you need to be a D and D fan to get it? No, um, especially if you've you played Skyrim, you've played open world games, you know the basic systems of those sorts of things. This is just a incredibly dense, rich environment of D and D characters and lore and history with an open world game open world game on top of it you can it's really it's it's yours to choose but like i was saying with my analogy before everywhere you go you can suddenly find yourself off on this side mission doing one thing or another and there's so much interesting stuff and because you it encourages you to experiment with Ah, oh, I wonder how this would work with if I if I combine it with this. Oh shit! I was able to actually do that. That's awesome. Um, okay, this is ridiculous. I love this. But then in multiplayer as well, you can it actually expands that even more. If you're going into a shop and someone could be having a conversation with the shop owner, another member of your party. If they're being controlled by another player, they can go around and just steal everything because then the, the the shop owner is being distracted with conversation. It's, it works, and that's that's what you do, and it just it it feels organic to play it. There is so much, and it is daunting when you look at it. It's go, oh my god, there's so many things that I can pick up, and I wonder if I can combine this with that, and uh, how wait, how do I do this, and how how do I do that? But it's just learning a system. If you have the time, this consistently rewards you. Is it a jump in, jump out kind of game, or do I need to dedicate hours of time? This is how I've been jumping in and out of it, and that's how I play it. It's got the quick save, which is also wonderful because if you want to go through and do a specific style of playthrough of being able to persuade everyone, you can save and it'll come up with roll of persuasion dice. You roll it, you add it all of the things on screen and if it still fails you can quickly reload and you can do it again and it's it gives you that option to be able to do it which is an old school go back to the save file to to, to succeed mentality which hasn't hasn't been a big thing 
in the last 10, 15 years. It's nice to have that feature back, but this is a game where you can go, all right, you know what, I'm going to just explore for 10, 15 minutes and jump out. And there's always something to do. Fast travel is fast and you get to an area and you can explore and you've got a catalog of all of the missions that you're doing and you can bring those to the map so you're never particularly lost but you'll be walking through the forest and suddenly someone will just do a passive check and that's like oh there's something over there and you look and it's a tunnel into a abandoned temple for one for the one of the nature gods or something like that and you suddenly go oh shit i've now got to fight an owlbear this is cool it, and and you it wants to distract you but you can stay focused if you want to but any the distractions are entertaining and fun and engaging and the the way that the characters in your party engage with each other it's invested it's good it's good I, i'll put this there you go in your recommendation it's gone on the wish list um, I, I will buy it on sale at some point. I have, because I have Game Pass, I have Starfield on my computer here. Um, oh, yes. For me at some point. I'm doing a playthrough of Fallout 4 again for some reason. Hmm. Um, but I just miss Fallout, you know. I'm always hmm. ready to play Fallout 76. I miss it so much. Um, I can tell you with Starfield, I jumped in and played a couple of hours of that, and it is definitely a Bethesda game. It's a game. It and is. It has game mechanics where you can... Yes, form actions, it, I believe. It is it is exactly what you'd expect from a Bethesda open world game. Um and Okay with that, right? It's the best I can get until they release, you know, Elder Scrolls Six or Fallout Five, and it'll probably be ten years from now, so those assholes, but <laughs> um uh but uh Baldur's Gate got on the wish list. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to talk about an Australian television show if I may. No, we don't do homegrown stuff. No, sorry. It's, it's actually I'll relevant. It's, it's I'll make topical. an exception for this one. Topical. It is The show is called Court. C, star, A, star. You can do the rest in a bit late. So if you're looking for it, you're oh, I've seen Court. adverts for this. Yes, it is being made for Stan, which is a streaming mm. service in Australia. Uh, if you're Ryan, if you're still watching, you will not be able to watch this anytime soon. But I know they were trying to sell it to people overseas. Um, but for, a moment, for reasons that will become obvious in a minute, uh, they have stopped that. Mm. Uh, four Australian soldiers sent on a mission to a war-torn country are captured by freedom fighters and produce a hostage video that goes viral. Mm. Now, you may not be aware of this. I don't know if you watch the news, but there's a little thing going on in the Middle East right now where a bunch of people just got taken hostage. So, including soldiers. So, um they have decided to not <laughs> sell mm -hmm. this to anybody right now. Apparently it was going to be at some sort of um, a convention next week up for sale. Um, they have decided not to do that. Uh, this has an interesting cast. Mm. The name, Australian names you might know from this is name, I should say, is Kick Gurry. Kick Gurry, probably for the uh, fans of this show, and hopefully you all are, was in Speed Racer, which we talked about a couple of months ago. Um, he's got a couple uh, of people from Speed Racer in it. Yeah, uh, as is Matthew Fox. Yeah. They popped up for the first time in forever. This also stars Sean Penn and <laughs> Susan Sarandon and Brian Brown. If you don't know who Brian Brown is, Brian Brown is an Australian actor. He was kind of big in the 80s. He was in Cocktail, of all things. Yeah. Um, and he was in FX. FX. And, of course, we shan't forget. Art of Illusion. <laughs> he's turned as Osiris in... Um, 
Gods of Egypt because you, of course you're going to make a film about Gods of Egypt. You hire a white Australian man. Oh, yeah. In the example of um, Gods of Egypt, you will hire a cast of white men because yeah. Jeffrey Rush was in that as well so, as, a, as a god. So uh, they're all white. Um, so it's really weird, actually. So um, Sean Penn... Uh, mm-hmm. Turns up at the start of a film because so this is not going to make a lot of sense for foreign viewers. But um, Stan, the streaming service, is owned by one of the major TV networks in Australia. Mm-hmm. He actually has a cameo. Like so, some of the stars of that TV network and their breakfast show have a cameo in this TV show where Sean Penn's like a fictional guest on the show, and they have him like doing the Macarena and stuff on <laughs> breakfast. Okay. It's actually he. It's actually very funny. So this is a weird show. It's absolute dreck. Um, so episode one with Sean Penn on his way to Bahati Prinsloo to trade places with the boys. Uh, sorry, it's the wrong episode. My bad. It was episode six. Episode one, where are we? Um, Bahati Prinsloo is the fictional country which the Australian soldiers are secretly operating in when they are captured. And yeah. Episode one's called Everyone Loves Australians. Four idiot Australian soldiers are kidnapped behind enemy lines and strike a deal with their captors to make the world's most elaborate hostage videos. Um, this sounds a little bit like something like like a an offshoot for um, uh, Four Lions or something. It's similar vibe to Four Lions, and they're all fucking idiots. Yeah. And <clears throat> there are three or four genuine laugh out loud moments in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Like where I'm like, in spite of myself, I'm seeing Sean Penn playing Sean Penn, um, doing the Macarena on an Australian breakfast morning TV, and you're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and there are a couple of moments like that where you're actually genuinely hilariously funny. It's like so in the trailer, you'll see they're like, no, no, we're not Americans, mate. We're Australians. You know, Paul Hogan or uh, Steve Irwin. Or Mel Gibson. Early Mel Gibson. Early Mel Gibson. Um, <laughs> um, so so there's, there's a few genuine lol moments here, and you're like, but I hated it. I really, really didn't like it. Like, I thought it was boring and it was silly and not in a good way. Um, okay. It was, like, really had a lot of money behind it, though. It looked good. It was, but it felt really half-assed and kind of cringy. Really okay. cringy, but it made me laugh a few times. So <laughs> I don't know. It's that's, that's uh, the people who watch the show regularly will know I'm a very hard judge of comedy. So that's something, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, the only other thing that I've been watching is um, more of um, One Piece on Crunchyroll, and I'm a nearly maybe nearly halfway caught up on episodes and i've watched 500 and not 560 odd episodes <laughs> there's so much <laughs> oh my goodness and uh yeah it's it's exactly what you'd expect from an anime um you know every season the characters go through this wonderful roller coaster of things of like losing things and gaining things and getting more powers and suddenly going up and everything the animation is good the absurdity of the world is good um i hope that they embrace a little bit more of the weird into the netflix version 
because the first season, as I said a couple of uh, like last time, it's good, but it uh, it plays it safe quite a lot, and I think that's to its detriment, considering especially as the they go into the grand line and the new world in later seasons, things get weird, and there's going to be some really controversial things as well because like one of the um, main supporting characters for the uh, for the Ennis lobby scenario is um, a transvestite. And um, the character is absolutely modeled on Dr. Frankenfurter, which is brilliant. And they're a wonderful character, but it's like, huh, it's, uh, yeah, uh, they, they're, they're playing with a lot of very harsh stereotypes of everything to do with non heterosexual relationships and that's problematic and how are they going to translate to that that to the big screen no fucking clue it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with that it really is because you can kind of get away with things in anime that are inappropriate because you know a guy ogles a girl gets gets a nosebleed the girl absolutely smacks the shit out of the guys like okay karma it's not real we can allow that in the real world neither element of that is okay <laughs> neither element how, how do we show that i don't know and i they, they have not got an easy task ahead of them it's certainly with it's such a inbuilt fan base as well who are so passionate about it you've got the kurt v is up there to try and keep those people happy considering well i mean some might say netflix's record's been pretty good a lot of people like cowboy bebop though it didn't do very well yeah yeah but so So, i mean i'm thinking of um ghost in the shell that didn't really go very well i was uh also thinking of uh death note (laughs) (laughs) so it's a mixed bag yeah but um yeah that's that's all that i really i've got one more for you it'll be a quick one um uh uh I talked about this. I may have talked about this recently. Something I was looking forward to. This mm. is a new Nicolas Cage film, uh, not uh, *Sympathy for the Devil*. <laughs> the Retirement Plan. Uh, oh. When Ashley and her young daughter Sarah get caught up in a criminal criminal enterprise that puts their lives at risk, she returns to a strange father, Matt, currently living the life of a retired beach bum in the Cayman Islands. Uh, Matt Nicholas Cage stars as Matt. It actually has a decentish cast. Ron Perlman, Jackie Earl Haley, and Ernie Hudson turn up in this as well. Okay. Um, And I think it's part of a new genre of boomer beat-ups. So think um, the, well, there's a Haken films with uh, Liam Neeson, who's about, what, CF70, and he beats the shit out of, like, 20-year-old guys. Or Nobody with Bill Wattenkirk, who beats the crap out of 20-year-old guys. Or John Wick, where Keanu Reeves is about 60 and beats the shit out of 20-year-old guys. This is the same sort of thing. So he is a retired... So Matt... Grandpa action. Grandpa action. And I'm trying to find the right uh, buzzword here. Uh, He Matt is a retired assassin of some kind. He now lives in the Cayman Islands, getting drunk all the time. His daughter randomly turns up in his doorstep one day after her mother got caught up in some shit with her boyfriend. And, you know, goons get sent. She has a USB drive that her mother put in her backpack that's got microfilm or something. I don't know. Fucking no. And uh, they, the goons turn up to try and get it back off her. And 
you know, in the process, find out that um, Matt is uh, a lot more dangerous than he looks. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Earl Haley plays the bad guy. Of course um, he does. Donnie. And I was trying to explain to Michelle while we were watching it, but Jackie Earl Haley is actually a good actor. Um, he was in Lincoln, which we saw recently. Mm-hmm. He was good in that as um, the Confederate uh, vice president, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was sensational, of course, as Rorschach in mm-hmm. um, Watchmen. Um, and she's like, but he's fucking terrible in this. And here's the fucking update. Everyone's terrible in this. <laughs> Everyone is awful in this film. I turned it off after 40 minutes. It's an hour and 43 minutes long. Well, this is significantly worse than Sympathy for the Devil. Wow. And that wasn't a good film. Nope. No, it was not. This is written and directed by someone called Tim Brown, who has not done much. He did a film a a long time ago. He produced a film called Defendor, which is a sort of weird superhero film with um, Woody Harrelson in it. Um, I don't know how he got Nicolas Cage and these guys for this film. They must have been desperate for coin. Um, It's terrible. This is student film level bad. And for for a minute there, I thought Nicholas was back. I thought Nick Cage was back, man. I thought, you know, the um, unbearable weight of massive talent was going to reboot his career a little bit. He was cool again. The Pedro Pascal effect was going to rub off on him a little bit. Mm. I was wrong. Um, oh, so okay. the devil's bad. This is worse. This is terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible film <laughs> like i think we, we we turned this off and watched fail army on youtube for the next two hours instead and that's not a good sign <laughs> so if you see this pop up on a streaming service somewhere look um my advice is to keep keep uh keep scrolling <sighs> okay that's a very good um health and safety warning i think I think we're done. That's it. Renfield, Ryan Renfield was a good film. I yes. so Renfield gave me hope as well, but I feel like that might have been one of a few ones. So anyway, yeah. but I think we're done for tonight, and I think we're done for 2023. We are. Yes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for this wonderful ride. Um, we will be back at some point, um, maybe like late January, February time in 2024. <coughs> right. Yes. Coughing on my own spit. I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> um, but yes, please, um, if you do have any recommendations for movies, please, you can. You know where to reach out to us at Facebook, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, the Twitters, or the X. X's. It's, it's the you know send send us X's kisses. Um, yeah, we'd love to still hear from you, and if we can squeeze it in, we'll try and get get some like micro shows in, and it'll be shorter because this is a long one for us. We haven't done a long one like this for a while. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It's an absolute pleasure, and I love spending time with my mate right here. It's it's uh it's a joy. We are we've been doing this for nine years. Can you believe that? Nine. I think it's nine. It could be ten. I can't quite remember when we started, but um, yeah, 
Yeah, uh, wow. I feel like I know I recorded a show with you while I was in Japan in 2014. So yes, uh, Tusk came out in 2014. It was after Tusk, so mm-hmm. um, it would be nine years now. So we'll hopefully see everybody come back next year for year ten. Year ten, and uh, you know maybe we'll actually do some upgrades or something. No promises, but maybe <laughs> some time away might be able to. We might do do some things. Uh, thank you, Ryan, on my Facebook feed yes, for watching. You, we love having a bit of a bit of a bit of back and forth. And uh, you know, if you have a suggestion um, about something you'd like to hear us talk about, maybe we'll watch the sloth movie you talked about just for fun and games next year. But um, sloth house, yes. If you're if you you want to be like Ryan, keep an eye on the socials, um, and uh, we'll see you when we see you. Until then, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Good night.